I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik, as always, and I'm happy to sit down here with these guys. My guest today, senior ballistician Jaden Quinlan and project engineer Miles Neville. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Yep, no problem. It's now, been a while. Yeah, it has been too long, in fact. You know, this podcast kind of follows a path all over the place, and there's some things we have to do and some things we want to do, and between guests and people's travel schedules, it just gets wild. And uh, hunting season is particularly busy, but I'll tell you what, summertime, I mean, we're recording this in June, it's like, man, from April to now is a blur, and it's only getting worse. So, yeah, it has been a while since we've had a uh, corner episode uh, with one and only Jay Quillen. But uh, this one is going to be really interesting because it's another topic that we have some expertise in because of our use of the product. And it's a topic that not everybody has a really good handle on. And even those in the in the advanced hobbyist space where a lot of us live know which powders we'd like to use and whatever, but don't really know about, let's say, the history, the chemistry, how the burn rate's controlled, what to use where, um, some of the performance parameters that would make some powders more desirable than others in certain situations, and then what those situations would be. There's just a lot that goes into it, and you know we have some great relationships within the industry that uh, that that we get to peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. and we're going to share that as best we can. Uh, so this episode, everything you've ever wanted to know, hopefully about propellant. So without further ado, guys, um, yeah, we need to probably go back in time a little bit because one thing that Jaden's done is anytime we study something, ballistics or whatever, it's always great to have a foundational understanding of where we came from mm-hmm. and, and what was used. So uh, I know powder goes in a case, you pull the trigger, it goes bang. That's, I mean, that's it. We're done. We're done? Yeah. Okay. All you need to know is in these books right here, it tells you what charge weight to use and the name of the powder. That's all you get to know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and just pull the trigger and it goes yeah. bang. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first. Pull the trigger, it goes bang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, powder's pretty cool. Uh, from like a historical perspective, it's really the the oldest part of what we use today. You know, the, it, it, it was the first part. There wasn't primers. There wasn't uh, metallic cartridge cases. There wasn't jacketed, you know, projectile designs or rifled barrels even yeah um i mean it, it predates all that stuff by a really long ways so um i'm sure the the history folks out there can can critique it but in general um like 900 ish ad 800 900 ad is when the like a chinese alchemist started messing with different stuff like alchemists i guess did i don't know any alchemists so no but it sounds like something cool yeah uh and he was mixing up uh saltpeter charcoal and sulfur and i think like quasi blew himself up or burned his house down or something with it like so i think they were trying to make like a like a life-sustaining elixir or something oh like something you know from like a health perspective uh, like an alchemist was his was his goal as as i can recall from memory but Instead, he just blew stuff up, which is always cool. Hey, on the mess around and find out scale, I mean, yeah, if you bring your house down, but you found out some, some cool stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. You can make things go bang. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, obviously that, uh, you know, another or more technical 
term for powder is propellant because it's propelling something, you know, with sure. the gases that are generated from, from burning it. Um, so that kind of led into all kinds of different stuff they were launching. Fireworks. Yeah. Like they, they had like arrow launchers and you know, then it obviously evolves into cannons. You know, you kind of see cannons hit the scene for like from a warfare standpoint. Right. Um, and that was the early use of, of powder of that era, you know, all the way up in through like the 1500s. And then in the 1500s, they started to figure out that if they changed, so it was kind of just like a powder, right? Like as we understand the word powder. Um, but we'll talk about this a lot more here in a little bit about the shape of the powder or the geometry of it and the size of the granules and all that kind of stuff. In the 1500s, they started to figure out that if you, for one, um, you know, black powder uh, is very hydroscopic. It takes on moisture very easily. And so they started to figure out that one, they could change the, the shape instead of just leaving it as a powder that you could kind of like mold it into like a little ball or something and and uh you could change the burn rate of it because you change the surface area exposure of the powder yeah. to the flame um but two that you could you could make it less prone to absorbing moisture that way because mm. the powder kind of in the middle of that ball is not exposed to the outside air yeah so it doesn't pick up moisture so it kind of made it more consistent uh performance was a little bit Makes better sense. so that's, that's like 1500s i mean yeah. this is what we're, we're talking almost a thousand over a thousand years that this stuff has been around now if it started in 900 ad yeah uh and then you get into 1800s which is really where where our modern time era starts and like our other podcasts we've done you see that same time era in like aerodynamics and stuff you know right. the 1800s yeah. is, was kind of the knee in the curve you know when yeah. we really started to figure stuff out yeah and, with ballistics tables and yeah rifle barrels brass cases Brass cases. Yeah, that, that's where all these start to come together. But powder has been around for you know centuries up to this point. It's that's the, cool. It's the old dog in the in the pack. But um, you know, you see rifling come along. You start to see projectile shapes changing, like we talked about on those other podcasts. Uh, and then you essentially see the discovery of gun cotton or the use of nitrocellulose instead of that sulfur charcoal saltpeter uh, mixture. Okay, and that. That leads into the era of smokeless propellant that we're in in now. Yeah. So, and obviously, you know, like there's the reloading manual with the burn rate chart in it, which is, you know, a listing, general speed listing of the burn rates of all those propellants. And there's definitely more than one there now, you know, like yeah. we have so many different powders available. Yeah. And very niche powders too. I mean, there's some propellants that really fit a very small hole uh, and that's okay. And we can, there's room for those propellants, you know, there's, a couple powders that I can think of that work really, really well with lighter bullets in small capacity cartridges for like short range bench rest and stuff. And then they don't really fit. I mean, you can use them in a lot of other things, but they're really not optimal for it. But man, when you're trying to shoot small groups at moderate range out of a moderate sized cartridge, they work really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, 50 BMG propellant and pistol powder, I mean, it ranges across a huge spectrum. And then, like, uh, or if you want to make a subsonic blackout that runs a gun, right? That's a yeah, another powder type that's pretty much got one, 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 yeah, one trick pony. Yeah, yeah. One have enough pressure to operate a gas operated firearm, and then still propel a bullet out of the muzzle consistently. Subsonic at, at subsonic velocity. That's that's a tough one, and we can talk more about that later. So, coming into what I'm going to call the modern era of mm -hmm. propellant. Um, you know, kind of in a transitionary period, you have cordite, yeah. which similar chemistry from what I understand. That's yeah. It's 
nitrocellulose, nitroglycerin. Just it's in spaghetti stick format instead yeah. of balls or short stick. Yeah, and that would have been in like the 303 British uh, kind of came about from England, mm-hmm. used in the 1890s up until you know World War One time frame. Well, they're still loading it World War Two. Really? Yeah. You know, a lot of 40s era, 50s era stuff. Whatever. Sure. Until the 303 went away, basically. Yeah. And you could control the burn speed on that by the diameter of the spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. boom spaghetti. The yeah. boom spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> those rounds are really interesting the first time you see one. Pull pull the bullet out of one of those and then you pull tweezer out. out. Yeah. The pull out the boom spaghetti. <laughs> all, these, all these powder grains are stuck together. Yeah. It's crazy. So from that transitionary period of going from, you know, the cordite, which uh, used you know, the nitrocellulose and nitroglycerin that we use today, just in a much more, I'm going to call it archaic uh, mechanism to control the burn speed. Then you get into the modern propellants and we've got several types. So maybe the best thing to do is talk about what are the types of powders that are out there today Mm -hmm. and what the differences are, maybe a little bit on how they're made and how they're made differently, you know, from one style to the next. Sure. You want to go into the different types and I'll go into how it's made? Yeah. So you got single base and double base are the are the main ones. Single base is just nitrocellulose. Um, and then double base is nitrocellulose that's kind of doped with nitroglycerin. Um, and so yeah, nitrocellulose is usually more consistent, more temperature stable, uh, okay. but lower energy density. And then when you add the nitroglycerin, you get... Way more energy. Yeah, energy density. Um, but they tend to be less temperature stable, uh, yeah, it's, I think that's yeah. The and then your your geometry is your ball and your stick. <clears throat> oh and your yeah, flake. yeah. So we got spherical, uh, flattened spherical, uh, flake, um, and uh, and then extruded. And so even within like extruded, a lot of times you can't really see it, but there's still there's perforations. Perforations, in there. yeah. And, and there's all it's a yeah a big ploy to control surface area through the burn of the of the individual kernels. Right. And yeah. there's there's some other propellants out there that you we as small cow shooters don't get to use or really even see and that yeah. has some really unique shapes and where you can physically see the perforations right, right. through the yeah, grain and huge crane structures powder kernel it's an inch in diameter and two or three inches long yeah we don't can, get to use yeah. any of that stuff but uh, it is out there you just you know that's for the large cow medium cow big military stuff but for us like you mentioned you have the extruded and that's more of if you know if you've never seen it it's like number five pencil lead Right. Chopped up into little pieces. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you said spherical and flattened spherical. Yep. Yep. And that's all, a, the idea is to keep the surface area. Um, so if you burn from outside to inside, you shrink surface area. And as you do that, then your, your rate of like pressure increase through the firing cycle will decrease. Right. And the name of the game is to try to keep the, that surface area the same or even grow it if you could, mm-hmm. which is, which is hard. And so that's why you have those perforations through the center to try to keep surface area as the, okay. as the kernel's burning away to keep that surface area as high as you can. Interesting. And the last one that we mentioned was flake. That's yeah. as it sounds like a cornflake, yeah. only much smaller. Yeah. And I, that either starts all they either roll it out and then chop flake, like old square flake stuff you see in Europe, um, or round flakes, which I think are basically just balls that have been completely, completely flattened. Flat. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly cut extrusion. Yeah. Look at this. A hundred free bullets when I buy these select Hornady reloading tools. Wow, five hundred free bullets with certain Hornady reloading presses and kits. Well, what do they have? Let's get loaded. There's no better time to stock your reloading bench. Choose from the most durable, precise, and convenient tools on the market and receive free bullets to get you loaded. 
Visit Hornady.com for further details. Next time we get loaded, I'm buying. Yeah, interesting. So an example of those propellants, uh, extruded powder would be like Varget. You know, if you, anybody's reloaded more than 10 minutes, yeah. they've probably used Varget or IMR 4064, 4350, something like that. Those are extruded. Do we have rifle powder? Yeah, traditional spherical powder. I think of like Winchester 748, used it often in the 223. This flattened spherical, that'd be like the newer Stayball 65. Yeah. Uh, Superformance. Yeah, a lot of the newer. Revolution. Mm-hmm. And then a flake powder. Uh, ah, man, pistol powder is usually like yeah. HS6, I think, is a flake powder. Bullseye. Bullseye. A lot of the shotgun powders. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, now that I think about it, HS6, I think, is a ball powder. Either way. It's a flake, uh, again. Tight water, whatever. Yeah, tight yeah. wad, uh, red dot, blue dot, mm-hmm. all those shotgun powders. So that's yeah. an example of each. And a little maybe analogy that'll help the, the listener is the way, the way powder works or the way it burns is based on three different things. You could think of it as like a three-legged stool. Um, on one leg, you have geometry, which we just got done yeah, talking about. Um, so the way geometry contributes to it, you could think of like having a campfire. You have a campfire and you throw a log in that's eight inches in diameter. It's going to take quite a while for that eight inch diameter log to burn down. From the outside in. Yeah, right. Because it burns outside in. You could throw a Mm -hmm. stick in there that's one inch diameter. And obviously that stick's going to burn up faster. The surface area is less. Mm -hmm. You could take um, a, a piece of paper, a bunch of paper, and get it wet and wad it up really, really tightly and let it dry. That would be similar to like ball powder. Okay. And you throw that in there, and it's obviously going to take longer to burn than just the sheet of paper by itself. Yeah. That would be Because it has flake way more surface area. Right. And so, as a general analogy, that's kind of why you see the different geometries in propellant, is that's how the geometry plays into how quickly it burns. Okay. The, next, the next part of that is chemistry. So, the, that's one leg of the stool is geometry. Another leg of the stool is chemistry. So, um burn rate modifiers is the technical term that are used and these are just different chemicals that are put on to alter how fast it burns through that exposed surface area so an easy way to think about that would be like an m&m the candy that you eat so it's got that hard shell on the outside so that it doesn't melt in your hand it melts in your mouth you know that's the whole the old saying with m&m propellant is very similar to that so they may put a chemical coating say on the outside of the propellant if they want the initial burn to be slow but then once it burns through that coating it will burn very rapidly when it gets to that soft chocolate on the inside yeah the quote-unquote soft chocolate of propellant yeah interesting and, and the so that's the second leg is the chemistry uh, and then the third leg is pressure so as pressure goes up that the that the propellant is burning under the burn rate goes up so as well gets faster burning the more pressure that's generated yes that's why the internal ballistic cycle is so dynamic you know it's 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 so hard to um, just predict, you know, arbitrarily based on some data. A lot of times you just have to empirically test it to know exactly what's going to happen with that specific circumstance. Got it's it. Like the burn rate chart, I'm sure that everybody's seen that has all the powders listed and their relative burn rates that you can definitely change where those powders place each other depending on the cartridge and the bullet and the load. Yeah, and, the yeah. the volume of inside the case, which would have a direct correlation on the pressure that a certain volume of powder would right. mm-hmm. would generate. And as it's building pressure and building pressure, that can d- depending on the load that's there, whether that's bullet weight in front of it or, or neck down, size, diameter, whatever, whatever you're doing, you can alter the burn rate and obviously get Varget to burn slower maybe than 4350, depending on the conditions. Mm. Yeah, that chart, I mean, we have the, the reloading manual open to it here. 
Um, that chart's mainly a like a quantification of the geometry and the chemistry contribution to burn rate, but the pressure is unknown because we don't know how you're going to use it. So right. that chart is essentially two-thirds of the way to how it's actually going yeah. to happen. And because it's missing that third stool leg, it cannot be used as a plug-and-play, like, oh, I have data for Varget, but I don't have Varget, so I'm going to use CFE223 because it's right beside it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's the next one down, yeah, yep. or whatever it is. Uh, definitely not a, a good move, especially when us as reloaders at home don't have any way to measure pressure. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why you're told to start low and work your way up looking for signs of it because that pressure contribution uh, to the three-legged stool we just described. Excellent. So we've got uh, different kinds of powder. We've got single-based and double-based, the double-based having the nitroglycerin and the uh, single-based having just nitrocellulose. Mm -hmm. And then we've got extruded, spherical, flat spherical, which is those are kind of grouped together, and then uh, flake propellant. Now, from a actual manufacturing standpoint, how do we, if if they're made from generally the same things, what goes into one making it extruded and two making it flat or spherical? Uh, from just the the physical machine, I'm going to call it machining, but manufacturing. Mm -hmm. How do you get those different grain uh, geometries? I'll use some some pretty rudimentary analogies again, but essentially you start with uh, which with the raw nitrocellulose. Um, which is like a wood pulp derived material. Yeah, it like almost looks like wood flakes, like bleached white wood flakes. Okay. Um, you put those into um, some some liquid to make them soft, and then they get pushed through like essentially the Mr. Potato Head. Like I was thinking Play-Doh. Play yeah, I was going to say, toy. if you didn't use a yeah. Play-Doh analogy, I was going to be upset. Yeah, so those unfamiliar with like what an extrusion dye would be or whatever is a, it's a big flat, plate or like uh you know like for hunters if you uh, process your own meat like um, a grinding wheel. grinding wheel same yep. thing that's an extru extrusion um, plate that the meat is being pushed through and then on the other side of that is a rotating knife blade right same thing with powder so it, it re really they they all start out that same way um, so say you were going to make a flake powder you would just make the knife rotate super fast so that it's just cutting off like little thin slices of that stuff that's being extruded through the end Okay. Uh, if it's a, an extruded powder, like uh, like Varget, like you said, um, that knife blade would be slowed down. So you're allowing, you know, a certain length of that stuff to, to uh, squeeze out of there before you chop it. With ball powder, uh, it's essentially the same as the extrusion. Uh, it comes out as a little cylinder. It actually starts as extruded powder. Um, and then it essentially gets ran through, uh, you could think of it as like a, a car radiator. It's a bunch of pipes that go back and forth or whatever and that just beats that cylinder into a ball because it's very soft at that point okay um and so that turns it into a ball um after that you know the those geometries are controlled right that's that's the initial part of the process to to control the burn rate and then they'll go through chemical treatment processes where they add the the burn rate modifiers to it okay um and there's different types that are used with different types of powder it's not all the same stuff um there's there's surface coatings. There's coatings that are put that are that are put down into the actual grains of the nitrocellulose, like down inside the powder. Um, that's what results in like progressive burning, which we might talk about. We definitely will. Um, so the 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 chemical stuff happens to the powder, and then any final uh, dimensions will essentially be sorted. So it it'll either be modified. So you were talking about like a like a flattened ball powder. 
So to do that, you would just take that ball and essentially run it through like two rolling pins that are very close together. Yeah. And you just, you know, you, you flatten, flatten them a little bit, kind of pancake them, you could think of it as. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also done as a as a control point for the geometry of the burn rate. Um, and then after that, the, the powder will go through its, you know, it'll usually go through like a sorting, a size sorting operation. Just because like you're going to have variability in that, you know. So, yeah, it goes through and gets rid of anything that's too big or too small. Um, and and then it essentially gets dried out and it's manufactured propellant. I mean, in a wow. very rudimentary description, yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. And one thing that I think is fascinating uh, that I would say most people don't quite understand is how incredibly sensitive gun propellant can be to moisture mm-hmm. and how much single percentage changes in moisture content can dramatically affect the burn rate. Yeah. That's and, huge. And each powder has its own kind of tendency to want a certain amount of moisture. There's like a normal amount of moisture it wants to hold. Okay. And yeah, you go, you start changing that by fractions of a percentage and it changes things quite yeah. a bit. So we'll get into powder storage later, but that's one thing that's very important. And one thing that should be top of mind, you know, in your reloading practice is proper storage. Cause yeah, you'd hate to get some Winchester 748 and go to load a whole bunch of 223 rounds for your AR and find out that it's, you know, you stored it improperly, changed the moisture content, and now you're taking yeah. apart a gun. It's really cool to see the manufacturing process. Um, we've all three actually been to, you know, when you were back working with me, we went yeah. down. As soon as you started with me, that was like one of the things like, hey, we're going to go there so you can see this and learn this operation. I want to go back a second time because I've been working uh, in the engineering department for like all of three weeks and i had a pretty good handle on you know i was a advanced hobbyist uh, as far as reloading is concerned and propellant knowledge but man to see facilities that produce this stuff it was i I need to go back just because you know the typical water from a fire hose that was yeah it was pretty intense yeah what was it like for you i mean you hadn't seen that before yeah it's a chemical engineers playground oh for sure yeah yeah um yeah, it was it was pretty impressive to see. Um, yeah, just all all the pipes. Yeah, <laughs> and the way they how much plumbing is involved around. in that. Um, yeah, it, and then kind of amazing to me that they have the ability to control the chemical processes as well as they do the way that it's handled. Yeah, yeah. That it's a, the laboratories <clears throat> that are at those at those manufacturing facilities are insane. I mean, yeah, the, that's a, like the high end chemical breakdown equipment that they have because because you really have to have it very very precise. You know what each little piece of that is in in the propellant, and so after they manufacture it, they essentially chemically break it back down to ensure that what is actually in it is the specs it's supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it's pretty wild. What's crazy to me, or was crazy to me, or at least impactful, completely tangential to gunpowder, was that if you open up a can of propellant and you're reloading and you have that smell, and you go to the facility, and the whole campus smells like that. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of yeah. wild. You open the car door, and I was like, <laughs> oh, I know that smell. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. So kind of transitioning now from how it's made, before we get into maybe performance metrics and and case fill and all of that kind of stuff. I want to talk a little bit, or have you guys talk a little bit about the fact that yes, gunpowder can be dangerous, but it is stable and talk about how it burns. Cause I think there's some misunderstanding, you know, as a, as an entry level hobbyist that it's explosive or that, you know, it's somehow gonna, you know, if you 
yeah, if it caught on fire, it's going to blow things up or whatever. So just talk a little bit about how it actually burns and what those characteristics are like. You know, just like Jaden said, that third leg pressure. So if you, if you don't build pressure, then the, the burn rate stays low. Yep, so. Um, and so like, if you, I'm sure that you can go on YouTube and find plenty of it, but if you pour powder out on the, on the tabletop, on the ground, whatever, light it, you'll get a flame, you know, it'll, it'll burn and then that's it. If you contain it, that's when it builds pressure. And that's when you get, you know, the, the higher burn velocity that makes a boom that makes a bang for you. Okay. Um, so. And there's a word for that. Yeah, uh, well, it deflagrates. That's the okay. word. Deflagrates. That yeah. So powder deflagrates. It's not the the burn velocity isn't high enough to to be an exp- like a high explosive. To, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to put Sub, that out subsonic there. Subsonic burn. I think technically yeah. right. Yeah. That, and, until you contain it. I mean, from the burn. Yeah. Because yeah. once once you put pressure under it, like that that powder velocity when you uncork out of a out of a rifle barrel is like five thousand foot per second at yep. that point, right? So. Um, but yeah, just open air burn is, is super slow burn rate compared to actual like high explosives. Yep. So flammable, extremely flammable, not explosive. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing like a super, I don't even know if we're supposed to talk about this, but a super old video, like reloading video that Joyce did. It just hit our YouTube. We did a premiere. You can watch it on YouTube Really? It's, t- it's in the public now? Hornet, well, oh, it's, it's always so been in the op- public. It has? Yeah. It was on a DVD. and. Before you get there, I'm going to say it was for instructional purposes only by the founder of the company in a era long ago. Yeah. And things were just different. (laughs) When men men were men and we, you know, we didn't have to wear hard hats everywhere. Uh, But to your point, like go find a video of somebody burning propellant. Well, Joyce Hornady did that on this reloading video, like pours out some IMR powder and touches that thing off and you get to watch it burn, which is no better way to show somebody. And he also does it with black powder. Yeah, to to show the difference. Yeah, right. which black powder, much more volatile. Oh yeah, right. uh, than than a smokeless propellant that we use today. Mm-hmm. And and you see that same thing as we were talking, like in that burn rate chart, a, a pistol powder is going to burn faster open air than than H fifty BMG, right? Mm-hmm. right? And you can see that. And then it's obviously then more sensitive to being contained. And so yeah, that's why guys that end up screwing up and loading pistol powder into a bottleneck Magnum rifle cartridge. Yeah to have a bad day. I think the worst example I've ever seen of that is Hodgdon's H110 mistaken as Hodgdon's H1000 yep. in a 338 Lapua. Yep. yep. We just uh, had that conversation the other day with some of the visitors that came mm-hmm. by. Um, they were a firearms manufacturer and uh, a very reputable one and make really good stuff. And they had a guy that bought one of their 338 Lapuas and was reloading and picked H110 instead of H1000. You know, had them both sitting there, just made that yeah. mistake. And he loaded, I I think so uh, our friends trains, know 85. like like a hundred. Oh boy! And the action survived. Um, the I think he, he it was s- like eighty four grains he had in there. Yeah, it wasn't good. It it so the, it was bad. The, yeah, this has like a internal breech ring. Um, and I think the barrel and that breech ring were cracked were, were toast but the receiver was it fine. held so he didn't like get shrapneled up and the bolt i think the bolt wow. had lugs well back. the one that i saw uh you could you should probably google it right now it's 338 lapua kaboom uh not that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. More, more often than that that guy got extremely lucky we'll just say that yeah. the one that held together because yeah. yeah, yeah. most of the time you well and as a reloader be very deliberate in what you're doing Good storage, clean reloading bench, uh, that goes without saying. So 
Well, now, maybe that's a good time to bring up like, well, why is there different burn rates? Like what's, yeah. what's the purpose of that? Um, if you think back to that third leg of the stool, which is pressure, um, one of the things that controls or influences pressure is the volume at which something is burning within, right? So the, the propellant is being taken from a solid state and it's chemically being transitioned via burning into a gas state. And the rate at which it does that causes an increase in pressure. So it's producing gases uh, very quickly. The, the amount of pressure that's produced by those gases is a function of the volume that it's burning within. Okay. So, you know, if you take, uh, if you take 10 PSI in a volume one, and then you take that and you put it in volume 10, the PSI is going to drop, right? Because right. you've increased the volume. So the reason why you see so many different options and different burn rates is because all of the different cartridges, bullet weight combinations that are out there all have different volumes. Yeah. And a lot of the volume that you see, so the cartridge case volume plays into it, obviously, because that's the volume of the cylinder the propellant is burning in. But another piece of volume that most people don't consider is the volume of the bore. Yeah, the or barrel. The caliber, you could yep. think of it as. Because as soon as you've generated enough pressure that the bullet is starting to move out of the cartridge case, the volume is changing now. It's not a static state of volume, it's dynamic. It's, it's, it's in a constant state of change. As the bullet starts to move, volume is increasing, pressure is dropping. Yeah. So the reason that you have so much variability and so many different options in the burn rate chart is essentially all those different cartridge cases and then all those different bore volumes and the mix of all of those across the spectrum of what we use in, in Mm -hmm. in small arms means that you have to have a ton of different options. You can't just have three burn rates of powder, pistol speed, rifle speed, shotgun speed, or whatever it may yeah. be. You know, you have to have that, that option to tune, to tune the propellant burn rate being used to the cartridge case volume and bore volume re relationship and dynamic uh, relationship that they're going to have as the bullet moves down the barrel. Yep. Right on. And it, a good example of that would be if you look at like a 22 cal or a 243 uh, larger case volume. So let's say a 243 Winchester uh, super short mag and a 9 millimeter Luger. You've got on the 243 WSSM, you have this huge fat case that needs to be full of propellant and a tiny bore volume. And on the 9 millimeter side, you have a huge bore volume, essentially almost as the same diameter as the case. Mm -hmm. And you have to have that match of pressure to actually propel the bullet to yeah. get the optimal velocity without going over pressure. And yeah, that's a, uh, it's a you see that weird balance where like, um, 308 and Varget is a good combination. And then you see Varget pop up again in some 375 of the, Ruger. Yeah. Well, like even the straight wall cases, Oh sure. you know, like you go back to, because the volume is, is increasing so fast. You need that faster burn rate to keep up yeah. with it. Yeah. That's like, it's like a treadmill on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> that, that volume is really the main driver too. A lot of people with the knowledge that they have at their disposal, mainly in these reloading manuals, um, what you see changing in a reloading manual is bullet weight, right? You'll be within a certain cartridge within the loading manual and you'll see there's this data set for this class of bullet weight. And then it, you know, as it changes yeah. around. So a lot of people from that think that bullet weight is the main driver. It is a driver, but what is a, a more influential driver is the volume. 
And, and, a, and an easy example you could look at if you want to, and you can use our data, you can use other manufacturers' data. Um, Hodgden's website with their, their reloading data center makes it pretty easy. But go look at um, cartridges of the same family that are different uh, bore diameters. So let's say like the 308 family. You have 338 Federal, which is a 308 Winchester necked up to 338. Yeah. The 308 Winchester, which is a 30 cal, and then the 260 Remington, which is neck down to 6.5. So the the cartridge case bodies on all three of those are essentially identical. Mine, you know, a little bit of shoulder differences, but call it identical. And bullet weights are going to vary widely, right? Yeah. From 338 to 30 to 6.5. From 120 up to 200. Yeah, plus. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go in there and you look at the heaviest bullets in each each of those cartridges, so let's say, you know, two. 220 to 250 green 338, uh, 200 to 230 green 30 cal, and then say 140 to 150 class 6.5. You would expect that if you pick just a static powder and you loaded it in all three of those cartridges, that as you went down in bullet weight, you would have to increase your charge rate. But actually the opposite happens. If you go look at that data and you pick one powder that's available in each of those three cartridges, and you look at the charge rates of that powder, you end up having to drop your charge weight when you go from the 250 grain 338 down to the two, you know, 225 grain 30 cal, you drop charge weight. Well, how is that? You know, your bullet's lighter. It's because it's controlled by that bore volume. Mm. So another way to think about it is your example of the, of the 223 WSSM versus the 9mm. If we, if we fix the amount of bullet movement so that it's the same, let's just say the bullet moves one inch. The amount of volume increase behind that 223 as it travels one inch compared to the volume increase behind the nine millimeter as that bullet travels one inch, it's night and day different. Huge difference. So you can start to see why you have to have so, such a fast burning powder mm-hmm. in the nine millimeter because one inch of movement in that creates a big volume increase. Your powder has to be burning faster than the volume is increasing. Otherwise, the, the pressure drops. Interesting. You can, that same example too is a good one is when you find the same cartridge parent parent cartridge or whatever mm-hmm. and then you can find overlap in bullet weight where they have the same bullet weight mm-hmm. and every time the smaller bore has less powder of the same powder you yeah. think you know like oh i'm shooting a 107 and a you know a 110 or something or whatever combination i don't know six five yeah, you can get a hundred you can get a hundred grain five. and a hundred grain and a six and a six five yeah and uh you'll see that with the same powder the six will always have a, a lower charge weight interesting so to to talk now uh, about some of the performance metrics uh, of just powder in general and what we've seen and how that relates to the end user. Uh, when I think of performance metrics, I think of accuracy, uh, case fill ratio, and temperature stability. Those uh, I'm generally concerned about those three things as an end user, as a hand loader. Um, what are some of the intricacies of balancing the performance parameters as a, well, as an ammo manufacturer, but also as a reloader? Mm-hmm. And what are those parameters that you guys are looking for? Well, case fill, um, maybe start there because that's step one. You know, accuracy comes later, velocity comes later. Um, you would you want the cartridge case to be as full as possible with propellant. I say as full as possible because you can go too far. You can yeah. have too much propellant in there. You can be smashing that propellant as you seat the bullet into it. It's possible that you could be fracturing propellant grains when you do that. I, I haven't seen it, yeah. um, but it, you know it's probably possible. If you fracture propellant grains, you've, you've exposed more surface area. Change the burn, the burn rate's rate. going to increase. 
Um, so that would be bad. Uh, yeah, you're talking like when you're 103, 104, 105% over what they what is called max case fill. Yeah, but generally, I mean, propellant's fairly, I guess you would say, compressible, right? So as you as you pour the propellant in the case, it's just randomly orienting itself inside of there. And when you go smash the bullet on top of it, if there's not enough room left for the bullet to sit in there, and it's it's actually pushing down on the powder, generally it just, you know, they find a home closer together. Yeah. Um, generally, you don't have the fracturing of propellant grains that way. You can have the fracturing of propellant grains when you get into temperatures. Um, so certain powders, when they get very, very cold, uh, which, so we, you know, we test all of our ammunition at very hot temperatures and very cold temperatures to make sure it's going to work as we intend in those environments. Certain propellants, when you get very, very cold, when the primer goes off, then the, essentially the shock of that primer coming into the propellant bed, it can cause fracturing of grains of propellant when they're very cold and brittle. Okay, and more so surface you, area. Yeah, you can get pressure that goes way, way up. Which is usually not how, you, typically you don't see higher pressure in colder weather, but it, it can happen. I've, yes. I've done some temperature tests, you know, several years ago and was like, man, that doesn't, you never see this, mm -hmm. but it was because of that grain fracturing. Yeah, so you're probably more prone to seeing that in like flake powders that you're going to use in handgun or shot shell stuff just because they're so small, right? They're kind of like little, little Dinner plates. Yeah. yeah good way to think of it. Yeah. yeah it's not break hard one of those pretty easy. Yeah. Um, so case fill on the, on the high side, you know, that may be the stuff you want to avoid, but the reason you want the cartridge case completely full is because you're presenting a consistent amount and position of the propellant to the primer. So when the primer goes off and that, you know, flaming hot particulate matter is coming through the flash hole and hitting the back end of the propellant bed. If there's a bunch of room in your cartridge case, the position of the propellant itself can, can vary within the case. It might be up, you know, right um, by gathered the by the bullet. It might be all the way down by the primer. It might be evenly distributed, depending a lot of times on the, the position of your firearm. And this plays in big when shooting uphill and downhill. And a lot, we've seen it over and over again, where uh, either a, a cartridge uh, or, or just a guy develops a load and he's like, this thing's great, but everything he's done is on flat ground. And then when he goes and starts shooting uphill or downhill, his extreme spread and standard deviation just goes bananas. Yep. It's like, what, the, how did this happen? The case fill is a, is a big yeah. part of that. I think a great example, we've probably talked about it before when we did the 300 PRC podcast, but a really notable example of that was the 300 Norma. Mm. Uh, we did a bunch of uh, shooting and testing with that and... Yeah, that was, especially when it became SAMI-approved and the pressure limit was kind of, uh, I don't know the pro appropriate word for that, but the SAMI pressure limit for 300 Norma was uh, abbreviated, and so you had to drop your charge weights a little bit, drop your charge weights, less powder in there, and then you yeah, uphill and downhill shooting big velocity spreads, and when you're trying to hit something far away, velocity spreads are paramount. Yeah, yeah, that was... That was actually Sammy introduction. It it never did end up getting approved. Oh really? Mm -mm. Um, it's it's not listed on the approved cartridge list, but we'll leave those details to themselves. Yeah. Uh, so case fill very important. You need an appropriate burn speed for your cartridge, and then if you can get it, you know, consistently and uniformly full. Uh, that's, that's the problem. Well, I guess with a lot of magnums, is if you look through that chart. As you start getting into the slower and slower burn rates, you get fewer and fewer options. And so making magnum cartridges, it's a little bit of a trick of fitting the capacity to available yeah. powders. Matching it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then now there's some other performance parameters outside of case fill. Well, that one more like, note oh, on case yeah. fill. 
you can also have negative consequences of going um, too far down on case fill. So you'll see like in a reloading manual, there's min charges that are listed. We don't just go all the way to zero for right. your charge rate. And the reason for that is if, if you don't put enough propellant in there, you can have delayed ignition or hang fires occur. And that can be very, very dangerous because what happens there is uh, a primer goes off, the, the, the propellant bed is generally shoved forward towards the bullet. Um, burning starts, but it's not, not real positive. Pressure is generated enough that bullet starts to move. Pressure drops because bullet moves and volume increases. And then bullet comes to a stop while powder is still kind of barely burning. And now there's a ton of resistance because the bullet was in a state of motion. It's easier to keep it in motion than it is to start it from a stop. Yeah, especially when point. it is trying to engage in the rifling. Yeah, so it jumps forward essentially to the resistance of the rifling, stops because there's not enough pressure to continue pushing it into the rifling. Powder is still like smoldering, I guess you could say. Um, and once bullet stops, volume is now fixed. Powder is continuing to burn. Pressure is increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. And you get a high pressure spike because of all that engraving resistance there. So yep. going too low on charge weights can be dangerous yeah. as well. And you can see that I've, I've, I've not personally experienced, but I've, uh, in my tech days, uh, helped a few people diagnose what came out to be this problem. I see it more with smaller bore diameters, slower propellants. And low charge weights, so like 243 Winchester with H4831. Mm-hmm. You go too low with that combination, which is 4831 is a great powder for 243, especially with the heavy bullets. But if you if you start too low, or if you're you know playing with the bottom, then you have kind of a soft primer. That was that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. And and not all powders are equal on how they ignite either. Sure. Back to that talk about the M M&M and M concept and the chemistry. If the powder you're using has a lot of deterrent on the outside of it, burn rate modifiers. Compared to another powder that doesn't, that other powder may, may light easier, mm-hmm. may be less prone to those problems, but there's okay. no way to know that. Right. So uh, reference a, a trustworthy reloading manual or reloading data center from somewhere reliable and make sure you paired up the appropriate burn speed with your cartridge. And then again, it's, it's beneficial from a internal ballistics consistency standpoint to run a, a rather full cartridge case. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from... Moving into the next performance criteria, you know, uh, we talked about case fill. Now I'm looking at accuracy and temperature stability and any others that you guys might have in mind. Temp, temp stability? Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty simple. You, you freeze the ammo, heat the ammo, and shoot it and see, what, see where it walks. Yep. Um, and a lot of people, again, that's not a, a fixed value. It's not like, oh, if I, if I take Varget and it's always going to be... 0.3 foot per second per degree. It's right. not, yeah. It, it, it depends on the volume. Depends on the on the case capacity, the bore volume, how much resistance the bullet is giving it. You can take the same cartridge, put two different weight of bullets in it, and Varget is not going to have the same, or any powder, for that matter, is not going to have the same temperature sensitivity necessarily on, on both ends of that spectrum. Got it. And um, so, obviously, you don't want any temperature sensitivity, right. but it is present. Almost it, it, all the time. Yeah, it's a chemical reaction. Heat plays plays a plays a factor. So, what's that look like between extruded propellant and or not extruded uh, single base propellant and double base propellant? Double base propellant tends to be worse. Yeah. So essentially, you're getting the reason that there's a double base and that nitroglycerin is added in is because it adds chemical energy to the to the the 
internal ballistics burning cycle. And so that allows you to get higher velocity, something that most of us like, you know, yeah. uh, flatter shooting, less wind, all those benefits. Uh, but the trade-off of that is that it is more sensitive to the temperature at which it starts to burn at. So the temperature of your ammunition when you, when you fire it. Um, a lot of times, like you were saying, you know, uh, a given powder is not going to burn the same way across different cartridges. It'll, it'll perform in general within a certain way. Like Varget is generally pretty good stuff. Yes, yep. it's going to vary slightly depending on the specifics. Um, when you get into some of the very high velocity options, generally that comes with much higher temperature sensitivity, meaning in general with rifle stuff, as you go to the hotter temperatures, your pressure and velocity will go up. And when you go to colder temperatures, it will go down. That's not always the case. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times with handgun propellant, that's that's really the highest nitroglycerin levels there are. Generally, the, the double base powders for rifle have a lower nitroglycerin content than, than the pistol stuff does. But those, sometimes they'll go the opposite direction. Sometimes you'll see the pressure and velocity go up at cold and down at, at warm temperatures. Mm. It really just depends. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that, oh, this whole discussion is very uh, case by case dependent. Sure. I mean, that's, and uh, there are yeah, some generalities. Yeah, there's some generalities, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah. like if you don't have a pressure test barrel and yeah, equipment, no it's like, guaranteed it's hard to, yeah, hard to. But as a general rule, I would say that extruded propellants that are single base generally produce the best temperature sensitivity. Mm -hmm. That's probably a fair statement. I mean, yeah. some of the newer yeah. technology double base powders are just as good. Oh, well, or better. But I would say, you know, generally speaking of the propellants available in the last 30 to 50 years, yeah. The, yeah. the single base has generally been looked to as the most stable across temperatures. Yep. So if you're a reloader out there looking for temperature stability as a, as a performance criteria for, say, long-range shooting, competitive shooting, hunting, what, what have you, extruded single base propellants are top of the heap now there are some exceptions like always man i'll tell you what uh reloader 16 and reloader 26 and reloader 23 i don't know what alliant is doing that they've got that figured out those are double base propellants and the temperature stability is in my testing i'm guessing you guys can second that mm -hmm. it's been phenomenal accuracy is mm -hmm. great and then the new uh stable powders from winchester got stable hd and that slow burn speed uh, stay ball six five right there in the middle, and then on the faster end, you've got stay ball match, yeah. uh, which is kind of similar to burn speed yeah. of like Varget, so three oh eight two two three that kind of thing. Yeah, those yeah. are spherical propellants that are double based that are quite temperature stable as well. Yeah, I say oh, those yeah. those match or exceed in some cases what we see out of the traditional temp stable extruded okay. powders. Yeah, they're a great option. Today's episode is brought to you by Hornady Security Rapid Safes. Using patented RFID technology, you get the quickest, most dependable access to your firearm when you need it the most. Check out the full Rapid Safe line at hornadysecurity.com. So, now transitioning over to that last and fabled and surrounded by dogma and sample size testing accuracy so is there any generalities that we can talk about from propellants that would help our listener to say okay if accuracy is your chief concern um is there anything that you should be looking for specifically in a propellant because obviously we want all propellants to be hyper accurate mm -hmm. yeah. and that's not always the case and i don't know why but yeah well those same ones we've been talking about those alliance that alliance series the hydrogen extreme line those tend to be, just from what I've seen and tested, more 
more prone to produce really good accuracy results barrel to barrel to barrel to barrel. Yeah. So on the average, if you had 100 guns and you right. picked 100 propellants, on the average, single-based extruded powders or the new stuff from Alliant uh, and new stuff from Winchester, those stay-ball lines. Yeah. The, the, there are certainly places where a ball powder is completely capable of the same like insane level of precision. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are... The, the the older stuff that's not as temp stable is more affected by temps then you'll see that precision kind of come in and out with temperature oh uh, really yeah especially hot when you get it hot it tends to open up um but then these these newer like the stable hd stable match those either work or they don't kind of oh, from, from an accuracy from standpoint. an accuracy yeah they, yeah they they tend to be better they tend to be more tame than previous like ball powder like uh like double, class- double base ball powder stuff yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the classics h335 Winchester but yeah 748 right right so they're they're awesome because if they work for you you're throwing them right out of a powder measure you're, yeah they meter amazing right yeah it's awesome um it's a win-win if they work um but it were definitely worth testing um but on the whole i would say yeah a lot of that old the same, the same stuff everybody's been using. Yeah, they're using it for a reason. For accuracy. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. the historically accurate propellants are just accurate. Yeah. The way and then, and there's some of the, too some of the old IMR stick powders that maybe aren't as temp stable as some of the newer stuff that you can still get incredible. Oh yeah, IMR forty sixty four with a hundred yeah. you know hundred and sixty eight grain match bullet and a three eight Winchester. Right. You don't need anything else. Those yeah. powders have been around for a long time. I mean, back to that history piece, Dupont. You know in the early 1900s kind of started that that imr stuff and yeah it's pretty cool how many of those are still around you know improved military rifle yep yep yeah um is another pretty good pretty good powder um as well as uh, norma if you can get it the norma series of propellants are pretty good uh shooter's world we've added some of those into the yeah they've into the book then it came out of nowhere and not came out of nowhere but as far as on the hobby reloading side of things Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that they're not that old of a company and yeah, shooters world precision, uh, is readily available, at least in our area. And I've seen a lot of people swap to that when Vargas become hard to find and, mm-hmm. and have not sacrificed performance at all. And in some cases have gotten more performance out of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yep. That's a, yeah, that's a big ball of wax as far as what's going to work. I think there's, you can find a lot of applications and a lot of specific scenarios where, where one powder will work or, and then will not work, yeah. you know, and it's. Yeah. Generally, though, I think, like like I said, we've seen really good luck with barrel to barrel to barrel, just gun to gun to gun, being very stable with as far as acceptable accuracy out of those, like Hodgson Extreme Line Alliance, the Reloader series. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fit of Rory is another one that, yeah, got got a strong following. Yeah, for accuracy. Yeah. Well, if you look at the short range bench rest, oh, this is several years ago, but looked at short range bench rest nationals or world championship, or whatever it was, uh, every single person shot Vitavori in 133. Every single one of them that mm-hmm. was in the top 20 shot yeah. Vitavori in 133. Yeah. That's saying something. Right. Uh, so from an accuracy standpoint, another, uh, I guess, performance criteria, if you wanted to make it a four-legged stool, would be velocity. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes speed, is if, if your level of precision required is, you know, if you're, if you're looking for one minute versus a half of a minute of accuracy, if you can get that one minute of accuracy at 200 feet per second faster, that's that's a benefit to you. And like you've kind of alluded to and addressed specifically, when you add nitroglycerin to the mix, bring nitroglycerin to the party, you're going to get more speed. Right. 
And that's kind of a, a big balance between the burn deterrence and the nitroglycerin and and everything that, that the powder manufacturer puts in there that you're you're it's it's a just a big balancing act of you want to build pressure, you're capped at a limit, right? Mm-hmm. Sixty two thousand, sixty five thousand PSI, depending on what it is, or maybe less fifty two, fifty five, whatever, depending on the cartridge, but you're capped at that limit. But if you look at the pressure versus time Curve. curve that yeah. we get out of our pressure barrels there's uh, a metric down that it prints out at the bottom that is area under that curve and so the more energy density you can get into the powder at the right burn rate you will get that burn to hang out longer before it goes down and that creates more area under the curve that's more basically time at pressure which yeah. generally very closely correlates to having more yeah. velocity so if the bullet's getting pushed on with sixty-two thousand pounds of pressure and it achieves x velocity if you can increase the time that the bullet's mm-hmm. being pushed on at sixty-two thousand pounds you're going to increase the velocity right exactly awesome so walk us through a little bit if we can because we've got propellants on the market and we've got ammo lines out there hydrogen superformance hydrogen lever revolution uh, and then we've got ammo lines that we call superformance and lever revolution that achieve and in some cases 150 200 i've seen 250 foot faster than a normal single base powder um, with no increase in chamber pressure. And Miles, you know, talked us through the wave tops there, but from a chemistry standpoint, how does that occur? Sure. So it goes back to the whole volume pressure relationship we talked about earlier. And what happens when you look at that pressure time curve that Miles is talking about? Um, it starts out and you see pressure building, 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 building. It kind of peaks out at the top generally, and then it falls off rather rapidly and, and continues to drop until the bullet exits the muzzle and the pressure normalizes to ambient. What that tells you is, is, a, is essentially a story of, of how the volume in bore was happening from a time standpoint. So as the pressure is rising, what that means is that the propellant is being changed from a solid state into a gas state at a faster rate than the volume is increasing behind the bullet because pressure is going up. Mm-hmm. So pressure is going up. When pressure peaks out, what you have is the, the peak... Um, ratio you could call it of gas generation to volume generation the gas you at that point you've reached the max the powder can no longer produce more gas than the volume is increasing bullet is still in a state of motion traveling down the barrel so volume is still increasing once pressure starts to drop off and that curve is on the back side what you're seeing then is that the, the pressure generation of the propellant is less than the rate of expansion of volume behind the bullet that's why the pressure is dropping And then obviously when the bullet uncorks from the muzzle, pressure completely drops. Um, So how do you get more velocity with not exceeding that max pressure? What you do is it's a thing called progressivity. And you control this within the propellant itself, uh, whether it's chemically or geometry-wise with the burn rate modifiers. But as the pressure curve is approaching peak pressure, just like we talked about before, um, when it hits that peak area, you design the powder in a way where it now matches and holds that pressure. So that point where you have a match between gas generation and pressure generation and volume generation behind the bullet, you match and you hold those two at the same rate. And that means you're pushing on the bullet for a longer period of time with the maximum amount of pressure, but you never went higher pressure. You So another way to think of it is traditional powder is going to hit 60,000 pounds for just throwing random 
Yeah, random number random generator. numbers for one second. Okay, yeah. it, it experiences sixty thousand pounds for one second. And that correlates to it producing twenty five hundred foot per second. If we can hold that bull, if we can hold that sixty thousand pounds for three seconds, the velocity is going to go up because it was pushed for a longer period of time. Okay. And so that's what you see with the super performance and say the lever evolution style propellants is that they have that built in that it, you could almost think of it as smart propellant. You know, it's 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 tuned specifically to do that instead yes. of just like burn generate pressure done like that's the complexity of the cycle it's much more than that the the gobstopper layers of, oh yeah of the, the everlasting gobstopper. Yeah, of the chemical composition of it is timed so that you delay the burn so that as it's building pressure it's you know not going crazy to spike it and then once you get to the next layer then it's burning faster to maintain to pressure. that pressure. It's got like a little reserve tank you could think of yeah, it as a kicked energy. Yeah, so, the So it hits that max pressure. Bullet's moving as fast as it's moved yet, so volume is increasing very quickly. And if it doesn't start burning faster at that point, then the volume just increases pressure drops. So there's like a little booster tank, you know, when it hits yeah. max pressure, and it's like burn faster right here because bullet is really moving fast, and that's what gives you the extra. Awesome. it doesn't create higher pressure. And those spherical propellants that we mentioned Super performance and lever evolution specifically those are are very progressive propellants but there are others out there mm -hmm. cfe 223 most of those spherical propellants that you're going to find from accurate powders and stuff like that they're going to you know every powder has some level of progressivity right. it's just the ones that are hyper progressive i guess right. you could call them yeah. that, that really give you that that added benefit of hot nasty speed mm -hmm. and then the downside of that is if you have a 12 inch barrel Oh, yeah. Right, because you're maintaining that pressure, higher pressure, longer down the barrel. So if you have a gas port somewhere in there, right? Yeah. That, well, you're creating, <laughs> it's probably creating more gas volume. Right. So if you're a gas-operated firearm, probably not the best option for right. you to, uh, yep. to yep. look at those. Or propellers. if you have a super short barrel, you'll get some impressive muzzle flash. Out of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some pretty impressive muzzle flash videotaped it on my phone a couple mm -hmm. times through the window of, of the P&V barrel. Uh, so from a performance criteria standpoint, I think all that's super helpful for the listener. And now uh, kind of transitioning for just the hobbyist, not us for ammo, because we have our ways of doing it. But we mentioned storage, um, how critical that can be for the propellant and your loaded ammunition. What do you guys got for recommendations there? Keep it dry. Yeah, yeah keep and, your powder dry. There's a reason that's a yeah. old saying, you know. Um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> well, the thing is, long-term exposure to moisture will degrade the powder, and that will chemically alter it, and then all bets are off as to how it's going to perform. Uh, generally, that means burn rate goes higher. And yeah, usually pressure, not the other way. Yeah, pressure goes higher. Um, but then within the usable range, right, the, the more moisture that's in it, the slower it burns. It's kind of an inhibitor. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And yeah, then if and you if you're like in Arizona and you keep it in your garage at five percent humidity at 120 degrees, you'll cook all the water out of it, and then you'll get really impressive burn rate increase. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's another thing, a great point to bring up is that when you look at these manuals, you know these are established essentially based on climate controlled conditions. Um, if you're in Arizona and you're you're even if your powder is in climate controlled, it's likely at a very low humidity level anyway, unless you have a humidifier running. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is true, say, in the south southeastern part of the United States where humidity is very high down by the coasts or something. 
um, you can take the exact same canister of powder and take that thing to Arizona and let it sit for a week and load up a fixed charge weight and then take that thing to Florida, let it sit for a week and load up that same thing and you will get different performance from those depending on the propellant. Sure. And and those are, they change to varying degrees. Some propellants are extremely susceptible to it and others not so much. And so it just depends. But uh, that's something to keep in mind, especially, you know, if you're, let's say you're in the in the southwestern part of the United States, the more arid climates, and you're using a reloading manual and you're seeing pressure signs or you're seeing velocities that equate to the max pressure in the book and you're still a grain under max, that could be that could yeah. be a reason why. Yeah. And I've I even heard of people like um that will buy eight pound kegs of powder and pour it all out into a container and let it normalize for a day or two. I mean obviously not in humid, yeah, nasty conditions, but like in their reloading room inside their house. And they'll let it sit, and then they'll put it back into the container. But they, they won't buy a sealed jug and then load right out of it. Leave it because sealed. they think, and it's probably true to some extent, especially the further on the extreme ends of the spectrum that you are, that yeah, that sealed canister, if you load right away, and then you let it sit for a month, and then go back and load again, it, your performance may change. Mm, yeah. Interesting. And we've talked a lot about humidity. Let's talk about what temperature can do for propellant storage. Because, I mean, it's pretty robust for uh for the most part but when you start putting it through big changes of temperature and then over and over and over and over again that can create some problems as well absolutely mm-hmm. depending on the propellant um generally temperature swings are harder on the storage of ammunition for double base propellants mm-hmm. um nitroglycerin and nitrocellulose aren't are not necessarily best friends and so they may want to go away from each other chemically and when you have a a separation of those two when they're supposed to be together at a certain ratio and they decide to go independent and you have kind of pure nitroglycerin and pure nitrocellulose over here, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but temperature cycles are really bad for that. So how you store your ammunition or your propellant is important. Um, keeping it in a climate controlled is obviously the best, you know, somewhere around 70 degree ambient temperature. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Your propellant lasts a very long time. I mean, there's probably many listeners out there that have bought, you know, surplus World War II or Korea, you know, Korean yeah. uh, .30-06 ammo, and it's fine. You know, we we've pressure tested some old, some old Lake City ammo and you know, 40, 50 year old stuff, and it's okay. You know, yeah. However, we've also had guys in the lab that have loaded certain propellants, uh, certain manufacturers of propellants that are prone to this. I I won't say names. That's not fair without them being here to represent themselves, but uh, loaded it, was planning on going and shooting it that weekend, had it in kind of, you know, the little MTM load box yeah, thing that you used to have it. Uh, got home, something came up, didn't get to go shooting. Ammo sits in a climate-controlled spare room of the house for, you know, five, six, seven years. He sees it one day, and he's like, oh, man, I never did shoot that. I remember loading it and what I was going to do, you know, kind of brought back a memory, brings it back into the lab. He's like, ah, oh, maybe I'll just check it out, make sure everything's okay, pulls the box open, there's blue corrosion on the outside of the cartridge case. This thing was stored at, at climate-controlled conditions yep. for you know less than a decade, somewhere between half and, and less than a decade. And uh, we pulled a couple bullets out, and that powder was decomposing and would have been a very bad idea to shoot in a firearm. Yeah, So, and that's because it was... The heat cycle had either baked the... De- well, no that, heat cycle, that, but... That, that specific propellant moisture. has a tendency for premature decomposition. Oh, okay. 
but propellant in general, as you as you cycle through hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, that that's hard on powder. It tries yeah. to break it down chemically. So even held in a perfect climate-controlled environment like this was, it can still happen to you. Yeah, not all propellants are equal, but other propellants are fine. I mean, I have some, I have some five-five-six in my basement that that I loaded in the lab right when I first started. You know, so this was twelve years ago. And I brought it in last year and thought, well, I'm just going to pressure test it again because I had all the documentation of what I loaded it with for lots and everything. And I brought it in and shot it through the pressure and velocity barrel and it performed exactly the same as it did before. And that's sitting in an ammo can in a climate controlled basement. So there's, you know, two different propellants, but one had premature decomposition, the other one didn't. What it, what exa or exacerbates that is temperature swings though. So this is a big deal for those that concealed carry, those that keep a firearm in their vehicle. Uh, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. um, law enforcement, you know, that's a big part of law enforcement's job, is how long has that ammo been sitting through hot and cold cycles? Yeah. And and here in the Midwest and the, you know, the, the northern portion of the states or any climates where you can see, you know, hot temperatures in the summer and then very cold temperatures in the winter and those daily cycles that could be 50 to 80 degree swings, that's pretty hard on your ammunition. You should cycle that stuff out. Yeah. The other thing, especially like we've seen with uh, patrol cars, is you leave ammo in a car for five years and mm -hmm. you run around going over all those bumps. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that burn deterrent and everything that's on the outside of the powder and you will eventually rub that away and it will increase pressure. Interesting. And one other thing I had thought of, I remember doing some pressure testing uh, for temperature stability and got busy or the alarm went off and I didn't, you know, check my phone or whatever. And I let the uh, rounds bake in the oven overnight and where it should have, you know, increased maybe five or 6,000 pounds of pressure. It increased like 14,000 pounds of pressure. So I retested it and had it, let it sit for four or five hours. So that was just, I'm assuming baked some of the deterrents off or I don't know what happened. Yeah. There. So when you say bake, probably important for us to clarify your, your, we have an oven that we use to, to test the ammo at hotter temperatures, and we're talking temperatures of like 120, 140 degrees. Yeah. Sometimes we'll go a little bit north of that. So don't go home and oh. set your oven to the minimum of 180 and throw some ammo yeah, no, in it. No, this was a 120 uh, degree test. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're certainly uh, you're certainly baking off moisture if it's in there long enough, and, and that goes back to that same thing we were talking about with humidity um, in, you know, in the arid climate versus the tropical climate. So that's part of it. And then obviously it's warm, you know, mm -hmm. the, just the raw temperature contribution to the burn rate too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainly can happen. Yeah. So I retested it at a four hour or five hour or whatever. And it was, it fell right into that five or 6,000 pound range. Yeah. That's something. So like if you load in an arid climate and then you go for an extended period of time to a more humid climate, if you don't seal primers and case mouths, that humidity will eventually it'll get in yeah, yeah a lot of people think well it's completely sealed up you know that primer is a press fit into the primer pocket and the bullets a press fit into the case like how how is more humid air getting in there or less humid air or whatever it it will it it'll find its way in uh generally the the primer occurs first it's easier for it to get in and around which makes sense there you know there's a lot less surface contact between a primer cup and a primer pocket than there's a bullet in a case neck but yeah if you if you waterproof the ammunition then you're good. You you put a sealant around the primer and the then the uh, case mouth. Mm -hmm. You're good. But yeah, if you don't, it's a matter of time before some sort of uh, acclimation will occur. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, I think uh, anybody that's got large sums or 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 volumes of ammunition is probably taking some methods to to store it 
And uh, yeah, just let this be another reminder. If you've got ammo at home, store it properly because it can create some problems. But fellas, I've learned a lot about propellant uh, just in this last hour of visiting with you guys uh, and having been to a powder production facility. And, you know, it's almost like those memories are perishable. They're not perishable. You just need somebody to rejuvenate them. And yeah, some of the stuff I just plain forgot about. And uh, I think this is going to benefit our listener in just adding more uh, rungs in their ladder of understanding what's exactly happening when they buy ammunition or when they reload ammunition at home. Yeah. Um, is there anything else in the world of propellant and gunpowder uh, that we either didn't talk about in depth enough or didn't mention at all that you guys want our listeners to know? It's too early in the morning to ask me that sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, any uh, Anybody you need to give a shout out to while you got uh, you got the line here? Um, well, just advice to listeners. Um, you know, go get a, a good reputable loading manual, cross-reference it with other people's manuals, but but go try it. Like, it's so much fun as a, as a hand loader or a reloader to go see what they do because they're not all the same, right? It's right. it's not all the, the, you know, like you go to the store and it's the same food that's got 10 different brandings on it or whatever. Yeah. Propellant is not that. Like, they're all different. So go, go try them. It's a lot that, of fun. That's, I think, the essence of hand loading in a nutshell for most of us is like, yeah, there's some wildcats and some obsolete cartridges that you have to load for, but generally it's, I just like tinker around and, and try this stuff, try that stuff. And, you know, it just fuels the passion even more because generally everything I've shot would suffice for what I'm doing, but I, oh, I, I better try that new stuff. I got to. Well, it's fun too when you find those little nuggets that just, I don't know. Hammer, yeah. You know, yeah. Find the, find the combination that just totally wads them up. That's fun. Right on. Well, I don't have anything else to add. Certainly, I could ramble for a long time, but I don't have anything that would benefit our listener in the world of propellant. I have a random shout-out that I promised a friend I would do that okay. has absolutely nothing to do with what we just talked about and will make zero sense, but uh, Simple Jack, if you're out there, I hope that Glock came back together. All right. Well, there it is. Uh, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for visiting with me and sharing your guys' knowledge on propellant. Uh, and I think I said, uh, I've said it a couple of times. I think our listeners really going to benefit from just a more complex understanding of what's actually happening in the components that are being used. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed this discussion on propellant. There's a lot going on there. If you're not a hand loader, uh, you should consider getting into it. It's a great hobby, tons of options with different propellants. And then if you're a factory ammo shooter, just know that these guys and the other ballisticians in our company go through great lengths to ensure that we choose the best propellant uh, for each and every lot number, each and every skew that we produce. We'd appreciate it if you'd like, comment, subscribe, email us with any suggestions or questions at podcast at hornady.com, and we'll catch you on the next one.